Hi, this is Mike Peasley from Sound Iron, and I'm here with Blake Ewing. We're going to chat today about Blake's album, Wilderness, and uh, his musical production process. And welcome, Blake. Uh, thanks for having me. So you've been uh, working with Sound Iron. You've been working with us for oh, almost what, three or four years now? Uh, I think my first demo track with you guys was Hindsight, which probably was 2011, maybe 2012. It's been a, uh, since the beginning. Yeah, your work is always more nuanced than I think is, is usually typical with the limited amount of time, you know, that we often have for demos. And uh, I started exploring a lot of your other work and uh, was kind of astounded by the beauty of, of your songwriting and the care you seem to put into uh, texturing and layering and bringing together a whole soundscape, not just arranging musical parts, but giving the entire thing a, a sort of a living, breathing feeling. Well, well thank you. Thank you for saying that. When did you uh, start creating the Wilderness album and when did you finish? Like, what was that process like? Uh, that album, I guess, was about this time last year, um, I think, is when I kind of, you know, started cobbling together ideas. And um, uh, it actually started, as a lot of my things do, with with uh, the album art. You know, like I had sort of this um, this idea that sort of branched off from, you know, kind of seeing what I could come up with around, you know, with around, around the sort of idea of the wilderness. And so, um, but yeah, I would say it was probably this time last year when it all began. And how long did it take? I think it was about a month, maybe about a month long process. That's, uh, I'm not one that likes to really linger on things. Um, you know, once I feel that they're sort of complete, you know, I try to um, not tinker with it too much. Uh, which is remarkable because they, they feel so uh, detailed, the, the pieces. Were there any particular places uh, like in the world that, that you were trying to evoke? Some of your song titles, including Muir and Boulder, Summit, Peaks, Cathedrals. I'm wondering if those are names of mountains or areas or parks or where? No, it, you know, it, uh, well, I mean, Muir is an obvious, you know, homage to John Muir, the sort of champion of, you know, national parks and, you know, sort of virgin land um in america and so uh, you know a few years ago i watched the um documentary about the national parks um with ken burns yes thank you i couldn't remember his name uh yeah ken burns documentary and uh you know john muir is a pretty big part of that obviously so i think it all kinds of kind of stems from from that uh feeling you know that that sort of uh marriage of you know, sort of this unbridled wilderness and vast, the vastness of it and, and the sort of beauty and its chaos, you know, like uh, most of these parks that are just draw dropping, you know, are, are the product of billions of years of just sort of random events, you know, and, um, and so that, I don't know, that, that inspired me. And I think, you know, the documentary and then, and then sort of further researching John Muir and, and his quotes and, um, uh, I think that's kind of kind of the impetus of it all, and, and, you know. And the track names, as far as they're concerned, it, it was basically just trying to think of things that sort of tied to that, you know, peaks, for example, you know. But the, the names definitely fit the mood of the music. Yeah, that was that was by in, you know by intent, and um, I'm glad that <laughs> I'm glad that you think that it worked. So, thank you. <laughs> yeah, having I mean, uh, listening to the album end to end, there's definitely a story I feel is being told in it sort of evokes the places that the names suggest but 
kind of even more so. It they sort of evoke uh, a feeling, sort of of reverie, like um, you're there. Yeah, you know, um, one of my favorite composers is Aaron Copland, and uh, in his sort of most, I guess, populist uh, era of composing, he you know he wrote Appalachian Spring, and lots of uh, sort of the the ballets that are very famous and they all have that sort of quintessential Americana sound that he almost kind of, I guess, defined in a way. But one thing about Appalachian Spring that I always found very interesting is that it didn't have a title, you know, until it was finished. So basically he worked under the title of Ballet for Martha, which would be Martha Graham, uh, the choreographer. I always thought that was fascinating that, you know, you can listen to that piece and you're just instantly if you if you go by the title you know it, it's very fitting and you you're sort of instantly taken to that space but he didn't write it with that intent necessarily and so that I, I i find that not only interesting but you know like something that's sort of beautiful about music and and imagery um and i guess one of the reasons i'm drawn to uh you know sort of composing with for or with visuals in mind is that you know there's so many different meanings that can be sort of imparted on it, even if they weren't necessarily intended. It feels like uh, some of these pieces, they, they, they've evolved. I mean, going back through your older catalog, you, you got a couple other EPs before this uh, that, that sort of play with some of these same themes. Um, but with the newest album, it definitely feels like there's a lot of evolution in your instrumentation toward um, a really, mm-hmm. uh, I, would, I would say it just feels ultimately very well considered you, you layer complementary sounds together to create almost new instruments i would say you know i had done a um a sort of um trailer album for a for a music you know production library i'd, I'd worked on several tracks for maybe you know uh um, well really kind of around the same time and so in some ways, I think it's it was a it's almost a direct reaction to that, you know, like when you're you're working with these massive palettes and sounds and, um, you know, the intricacies of what can get overly complicated if you allow it to, you know, with with these big orchestral pieces, um, you know, and adding hybrid elements and and all that. So, and I love that, you know, that style. I'm not knocking it at all, and I, I you know, will write it again, but. I think that wilderness was sort of a direct reaction to that and that I needed to get back to um, the basics of, of writing and the basics of instrumentation. And, uh, you know, like you're saying, you, you know, you've mentioned several times that it's sort of considerate. And I think that's a good word because, you know, every, uh, most elements of this were, were, uh, were highly considered before they went in. And, and a lot of the things that went in, didn't make it you know like so and i went in sort of anticipation of this i kind of went through uh over the last few days and looked at some of those project files and i noticed that none of them have more than 20 tracks um and that's on the high end for only you know a couple like there are several tracks that have i mean several of the songs that only have you know two tracks three tracks uh, eight tracks so i think that is um was kind of a, a a conscious effort, you know, and a goal of mine with that album. Uh, you know, obviously I wanted it to be good, you know, um, 
but I, I think that uh, that was one of the things that I was most proud about it is I was able to sort of strip away the things that maybe I would have left in, you know, and, and that may be sort of the evolution that you're hearing from some of those earlier EPs that are similar in style. And especially the tracks uh, Muir and Wilderness and Pines too. you did um, a lot with not just like uh, felt noise on the piano, but almost more noise. And it's hard to describe without... Uh, you know, people taking a listen, and I really would recommend they do, but, you know, with each note, you it feels like you... you Were those live recordings or additional sound design elements you, you put on top where each note feels like there's more than just the note there? There's It's almost like each note is cradled by uh, a sonic detail, and, and I'm trying to place with the, whether you just boosted felt noise or hammer noise from pianos or... Uh, or, or whether it's other instruments that kind of were layered in. Uh, how did you go about that that sort of combined con- sound? Well, you know, the piano is heavily featured in in um, in most of the of the songs, and um, well, in, in a lot of my compositions. Period. But um, I, I think um, it's a little bit of all the things that you just said. You know, there there were some uh, some moments where. Uh, you know, certain aspects of the piano would be boosted. There's certain moments where the piano is layered with other instruments. Like a favorite of mine is to do um, a nice sort of soft vibraphone, you know, in in unison with the piano. Um, it just sort of gives it a, a round sort of mellow, you know, um, tone that the piano, you know, being sort of a percussive instrument, um, uh, doesn't necessarily have on its own, and I, I realize the vibraphone is also a percussion instrument. But but the way they combine makes the notes land in a very pleasing way. Yeah, you put the two together, and then in addition to that, I, you know, and par- part of I guess going back to this sort of stripping away unnecessary layers, um, it, it was that's a way to, in my mind to get to a more intimate feel or more intimate composition and i think you know i you know i would go in after recording some of the lines and i would you know uh you know just bang out silent chords on my uh midi controller you know just to sort of add that live or that sort of imperfect nature of of you know the of humanity and into the electronics which is something I admire you guys, you know, when, when you're sampling, you know, and that's um, uh, one of the things I like about your libraries is that they sort of have that humanity that can get lost a lot of times in sort of the digital world. Yeah, I mean, I think for us, we're not trying to record the instrument perfectly. We're, we're trying to do it super perfectly. I mean, in that when you're holding an instrument, um, one of the easiest sort of analogies, when you're, say you're pl- uh, playing an acoustic guitar, you you rest your chin on the on the on the instrument, and all of a sudden the whole sound just fills your head. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you hear every creak and groan, but it it's part of it. Right. Or the same, you rest your head on a piano while you're playing it, and you just hear so much more than you ever would hear normally in a recording. Um, I mean, we right. tend to close mic a lot, even when we have our mics, we try to get as close as we can. But but even then, we also try to record uh, aspects to the sound and and articulations that are maybe overlooked most of the time because they're sort of treated as not classical. I mean, you can always get the classical stuff, but why not get more? Right. And I think that's an important um, 
and I'm not saying that I was successful in doing that in this album, but I think to be successful, to be successful in writing something like, you know, this style of music, I think that that uh, intimacy and humanity has to be there because otherwise it, it, it just, it kind of falls flat, you know, um, it's, it's very two dimensional. And I think adding, adding those layers, um, however you do it, you know, whether through sort of a closeness or through layering or through you know additional sort of ambient noises um i don't know i think i think it helps a lot yeah and it, it, it results in the kind of a hyper real effect there's no way in real in a real world setting you'd be able to hear all these sounds so close and so present but yet together uh it's almost like uh, you're listening to your own subconscious in a sense it's just there yeah yeah well, and, you know, I'm not a, a by any stretch of the imagination, a, a great mixing engineer, but, you know, again, thinning out the the composition um, organically helps in that aspect because, you know, you have less to, to, to contend with, you know, as far as your instruments uh, fighting each other. Um, so that's another, another, I think, benefit of um, going about it that way. Did you use... Um live instruments or just virtual instruments or mix or what uh what where were the sound sources uh there's a little of both um uh i you know obviously anytime you can can do it live if it's um if it can be done you know as well or better than your samples obviously that's usually the the choice you want to make um but it's not always an option, uh, you know, especially with, with the larger ensembles, like, you know, if you were composing a, a trailer album or something. Um, so, yeah, there's a mixture. Um, I uh, use a lot of uh, piano virtual instruments um, and then, you know, added the, the sort of the more live um, elements of sort of the ambient stuff after the fact. Um, there's guitars in there that are recorded live there's vocals that are recorded live um so i would say it's probably maybe 70 30 you know like samples to to live elements yeah and that's all i mean it's always a good mix because the live elements uh add fluidity and life on top yes you know where if you were to strip those away you'd often have a very sterile sound very too, you know almost too precise but you you kind of glue it together when you layer on live sounds yeah and i think that's true uh regardless of you know what you're writing you know it, it's especially important i think again you know when you're trying to achieve that sort of intimate sound but you know even on a large scale project uh, you know the, the more live elements that you can include um on top of the samples usually will make for a better you know end result i would be curious to ask you, you about your opinion as a nature lover on the current uh, state of things yeah, I, I, you know, I, it's something that worries me. You know, I, I don't know. I guess in my mind, the, the reality of it is, is, you know, we as a um, as a nation or even as a species have sort of uh, for so long ignored sort of the signs and signals and warnings um, and the science that I don't really know that it really matters who is in charge. You know, like it's uh, I mean, to some extent, obviously, having someone who believes, you know, in the science or that it's actually happening would be better, obviously. Yeah, but, I mean, it's just making, essentially making threats against progress doesn't necessarily do tremendously more harm than doing nothing about the problem. Right. 
and I, or, or or pretending to do something and letting the situation actually yes language. which which is basically what has has always happened um at least from from our um you know our country's perspective uh, it's a, you know it's a tough it's a tough thing because you know there are um you know livelihoods and 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 uh, you know it's a very intricate situation that i don't pretend i'm smart enough to fully grasp but i definitely am worried for for the um you know just the beauty of the planet and and the sort of how it will affect us as a you know as a species on that planet um i don't know feels like even if we finally wake up the damage will be done so that even if we can restore something most of the diversity will be lost yeah you know what's great you, you know say we reverse global warming but it basically it's all bermuda grass and you know right weeds that that cover the earth because we've killed every sort of unique and interesting plant or animal yeah and you know i i mean you know i i do think that mankind has had a large part in that but i mean you know climate is cyclical throughout you know the eons that that's true planets have existed so you know all of this could have happened eventually or or you know would have happened whether we did anything or not i don't know but um being that we're here to to witness it and you know that we're in an era or an age of uh you know, cognizance and, and scientific observation. I think that makes it harder to swallow. Yeah, we, that we would watch. I mean, whatever damage we do, even if the Earth in another few eons restores it or takes it in an entirely different direction evolutionarily, but yeah. it means we still have to live without that diversity now. Our children and grandchildren yeah. and on down the line will live in a much starker, brutal world, you know, with the lack of water, with lack of resources that come with all of this. Yeah, and... It's going to, you know, and, and I think, you know, it's it, whether we can affect it or not, as far as uh, fixing it, why not try? You know, I don't understand the logic behind not doing anything. Yeah. I mean, there's probably as much or more money to be made uh, on a large scale in conservation, like, for example, local distributed power generation versus these big plants that just pump, you know, CO2 into the atmosphere. Yeah, I mean, you know, the 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 great irony of humanity is that, you know, we we live in a solar system where the star that that you know creates and and sustains life essentially would give us everything we need, you know, power-wise, but we just don't harness it. And um you know, it's it's a shame and it's 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 definitely something I think that's possible. You know, it's just you, someone has to to step up and 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 make that a priority. Yeah. Either that or we do what we kind of always do, which is wait for the consumer products that would make it feasible on an individual level to become sort of present enough. I mean, if, if solar, rooftop solar, for example, became not that much cheaper than typical tile roofs, people would probably, yeah, you know, be gobbling it up. And we're probably moving toward that. Yeah. You know, the question is, do we make all of these breakthroughs and adopt them 10 or 20 or 30 years too late? Yeah, when you know that it, it could have already been done, if that, if that had been someone's priority, you know, um, whether that's business or government, I don't know. But, uh, you know, I, I don't doubt for a second that we have the technology to make that happen. Yeah. Well, we'll uh, I guess we'll be finding out. <laughs> yeah, we'll find out together. We, we uh, uh, oceanfront property may get <laughs> a little closer 
to some of the people. A little cheaper just to the risk. <laughs> oh, it's not funny. But... I, I don't know. It's like you said, the, the signs are there and we'll see if people can be bothered to care. Yep. And that's 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 the starting point, you know, is, is admitting there's a problem and that you want to fix it. Um, so I guess that's uh that's a wrap for our, our chat. It was awesome to talk to you. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me. Uh, sorry to end it on a bummer note like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, I figure sometimes the these chats can cover a lot of different ideas. They're not always, they don't always have to be strictly about music. Yes, I agree. Because we all have lots to say, and a lot of what we feel and believe and see infects and affects the way we we, we create. So. Yeah, and, and it does definitely tie into art and artists and how they... Uh, view the world and can and can definitely change it all right well it was great to talk to you yes same all right take it easy